0: Portion of that song speaks of the outcast on her knees, the God who really sees. That's the portion of Scripture we will consider this evening from Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. For those of you visiting tonight, uh, we are on a series of messages on angels. We have dealt, uh, in a sense, with the the theological aspect, the creation of angels. Uh, the existence of Satan, um, the fall of Satan, the reality of his work. Uh, We've seen the first placement of angels uh, in the garden or at the entrance to the garden. We saw that last Lord's Day evening as a great testament of God's grace to prevent Adam from touching that tree of life because he himself was going to become the tree of life so that we might live forever without the sin of this world and of ourselves clinging to us. Genesis chapter 16 is the next time the word angel appears. Actually, if you stop to think about it, it's the first time, because the other reference is cherubim. So this is the first time that the word angel appears in Scripture, Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called ro It lies between Kadesh and Beret. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. To Abram. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again... Bow in prayer. Pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we once again uh, ask for your blessing on the reading of your word, and we also ask for the blessing on Pastor Bob as he brings the message tonight, and he brings your word to us. We pray that you will open our hearts, that you'll give him everything that he stands in need of this evening, Father. And uh, may we truly... Truly leave this place, uh, not unchanged, but affected by your spirit, that we will go out into this world, Father, as fully devoted and faithful servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is his precious name alone that we pray. Amen. Amen. As we look at this passage, uh, there are two main characters who emerge in the passage, and then there is the message that is conveyed. So our first point tonight is the woman of the text, not test, the woman of the text, Apologize for that. Secondly, the angel of the Lord. That will be our second main point. And then thirdly, the message of comfort that is brought. The woman, the angel, and the message. Four things in regards to the woman who is highlighted in this particular passage, in this section. And I'm thinking here not of Sarai, but of Hagar. Four things. One, we learn that she is a servant girl. She is some sort of slave. We don't know quite the the relationship between her and Sarai, except it is certainly uh, the the relationship of one who is in charge, Sarai, and the one who is there to serve, Hagar. It's interesting, but when we read in Genesis chapter 12 that Abraham is called out of Ur of the Chaldees, we, we are told about those who come along with. And and specifically is mentioned Lot. But it's interesting, there is no mention of a Hagar. And you would think, given the circumstances and what is about to occur, that, that if Hagar had been a part of the family at that particular time, the Lord probably would have included her name in Holy Scripture as well. But you see, at the end of chapter 12, something else happens. Abraham, even though he has received these promises of God, even though he has left Ur of the Chaldees, even though he has come to the promised land, leaves. He is unfaithful. He sins. He goes down to Egypt. He doesn't fully trust the Lord. There is a famine. And there in Egypt, he lies. He lies about Sarai being his wife. She is so beautiful at, uh, let's see, what would she have been? 75 years old. She is so beautiful. That uh, he is afraid the Pharaoh is going to kill him to get to her. So instead, Abraham comes up with this concocted lie. Just tell Pharaoh that you're my sister. Of course, the whole thing erupts into a problem. Pharaoh and his family and those in his household end up with some sort of sickness. And Pharaoh pretty soon uh, through revelation figures out he's been lied to. Calls Abraham on the carpet. He says, what are you doing to me? Why why did you lie? And sends him on his way. Interesting though, prior to that, while there's sort of this preparation time, because Pharaoh does have his eyes on Sarai, and he does plan to marry her. He even has taken her into his household. He gives her many gifts, including servants. So in this act of unfaithfulness on Abraham's part, comes Hagar into the family. Now just notice how things are compounding in terms of problems and troubles because of Abraham's unfaithfulness of trusting the Lord fully and completely. Now we have Hagar in the family. And of course, that's going to lead to all sorts of trouble, not only in the context of the book of Genesis, but even today, we live with the ramifications of that move on the part of Abraham. So we learn she's a servant girl, probably picked up by Abraham or by Abram and Sarai uh, when they're down in Egypt, probably a gift from the Pharaoh. This is not a girl who had a choice. This is not a girl who, who volunteers for the job. This is just an assignment. This, the, you're, just, you're just property being pushed around, being pushed around, being pushed around. First, you're, you're a slave of Pharaoh. Well, now you're a gift to somebody else, and you got to go with them. And, and think of what this meant for this girl. She has to leave. We're told she is an Egyptian, so she has to leave home. At least while she was Pharaoh, she was at least in her home country. At least there was maybe the opportunity to see some family from time to time. Now, that's far removed. She's been yanked out of her culture. She's been yanked out of her country to serve this woman who perhaps she doesn't even understand the language of. Hagar, a servant girl. Because most likely that's all she is. She is probably not a woman in terms of 20s or something. She is probably just at childbearing age. And perhaps even younger when she is forced to leave Egypt. The second thing we can note about Hagar is that She is a pregnant woman. She has come of age. She is now able to conceive children. Sarah comes up with this idea that perhaps Abraham should have children through Hagar. But you'll note that that Sarai says that this will be mine. Verse 2. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So we're fudging God's promise just a little bit. We're, well, you know, maybe God made a mistake. Maybe He said you're going to have a son, but he, he didn't you know, maybe it's unclear whether or not it's me. So you take this woman, you have relationship with her, the child that is born, I'll claim. that'll be my child. Now just think of all of this from Hagar's standpoint. I'm a servant, now I'm thrown on the bed for this old man, and I have to conceive his child? Can you imagine in her mind what is going on? Here is this supposedly God-fearing couple, right? A chosen out of the world, inheritors of the great promise. Now listen, this is my plan. You go to to Abraham, you spend the night with him. Do I get a choice? No. There is no choice. This is what you do. And by the way, the child you conceive is going to be mine. So I'm going to go through all of this. I'm going to go through all the nine months of pregnancy, and then I have to turn over the rights of this child to you. Yes. That is what is going to happen. She is a servant girl. She is a pregnant woman. But there is also an ill-treated person here. Now when you read the text, you understand that the ill-treatment goes both ways. Once she finds out she is pregnant and is able to conceive and has this child or is carrying the child, lo and behold, she looked, verse 4, with contempt on her mistress, that is, at Saria. So now she's, she's, she's boiling with anger within. She's angry about this circumstance. Well, you can, for those of you as women who have carried a child, you might be able to, to not uh, think of this too far afield, right? I'm having morning sickness, and I don't get to keep my child and you're an old woman who can't have children, I'm so much better than you. I'm going through so much more than you are. And, and you see, the fact of being unable to conceive this child in that day in culture on Sarai's part is, is such an embarrassment. It, it was the one thing that a woman in that day could, could at least hang, her, hang a badge on and say, I had children. Particularly, I had sons. You don't get much else, but you get that. And now that's going to be... She's just just angry. And the angrier that Hagar gets, the more angry Sarah gets. Because you see, she's one frustrated woman. She is angry. She cannot have children. See, that's what this conception did. See, there was a little hope of hope on Sarah's part, Sarah A.I.'s, sorry I keep going back and forth, but there's a little bit of hope that maybe it isn't her. Maybe if Abraham sleeps with this young woman and she can't conceive, maybe at least I can save some dignity and say, see, it's his fault. It's not my fault that I can't have children. It's Abraham. It's the husband. It's his fault. But you see, now that Hagar is pregnant, it all comes back on her. Abraham can have children. There's nothing wrong with Abraham. But she is the barren one. And the one who is, who is going through this is now tormenting her. And out of frustration, out of anger, she comes to Abraham. Why did you do this? Now, on one hand, we may want to say, particularly as men here, we might want to look at it and say, what do you mean it was your idea? But really, who did the responsibility fall on? Who is the one who should have said, Sariai, that's a dumb idea. In fact, Sariai, that's an unfaithful idea. I'm sorry, but I am not following through on that. I'm not sleeping with Hagar. I am not going to fall into that. This is not going to work out. It falls on Abraham's shoulders. He's the one who should have stood up. He's the one who should have done it. Instead, notice what he does. Deal with her the way you want. Whatever seems good to you. Here is this young pregnant woman carrying his child. And he says to Sarai,
1: treat her how you want.
0: So what does the text tell you? Then Sarai, verse six, dealt harshly with her.
1: Heaped abuse upon her.
0: One commentator kind of comments and says perhaps one of the reasons she flees is because she's scared even for the health and development of the child under the harshness of Sarai. See, what Abraham does is he gives Sarai the permission to use what is now being taken away. Remember at the beginning of this, she'll be your wife? Oh no. No, that's now gone. You're just a pregnant slave. You're just a pregnant slave. And I can treat you any way I want. And this too, the shame of Abram, he allows to take place. So much so that the woman runs. That's the fourth thing. We have a fleeing woman. She runs. Do you know where she's running to? The text actually tells you. Now it doesn't name it, but because she's on this road, We know where this is. She's on her way back to Egypt. Now what awaits her there? Who knows? She's young. She's pregnant. She has no husband. She's been a slave. But she looks at it as being Egypt under those conditions is better than living under the harshness of Sarai and Abram. I'm better off there. And so she flees.
1: We look at this story, we go, this is just so tragic. This is just so horrible.
0: I know some of you in this room, in more ways than one, have suffered abuse. You know something, not that the circumstances are the same, but you know something of what it's like to be a Hagar.
1: Those who, stood should, st- those who should have stood up for you, their shame did not.
0: There go. <laughs> Lord, where are you? Don't you care about these circumstances? Don't you care about this situation? And just when we're at In a sense, our wit's end. Just when she's at her wit's end. Because Abraham and Sarah don't care. She's gone. Good. That's it. Here comes grace. Here comes grace. The angel of the Lord found her. She wasn't seeking Him. She wasn't seeking the Lord. She wasn't seeking anybody. She was going to go back home. But the angel of the Lord found her. Now let's look at three things regarding that very quickly. First of all, note the words that are used. They are there specifically. The text is important. The words of the text. The order of the text. I checked in 22 translations. Every major version says the same thing. The angel of the Lord. Not an angel, not any angel, but the angel of the Lord. Remember what I told you last week when we, when we first opened up Genesis chapter 3 and there we find cherubim? And I said, you know, remember the folks from Answers in Genesis. Whenever there is a first, there there is something for us to take hold of. Well, here's another first. This is the first time the word angel is used. This is the first time In all of scripture, an angel comes with a message. God doesn't just send an angel. It is the angel of the Lord. That's who we're told it is. The statements that are made. Look with me at verse 10. In verse 10 we are told. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Now stop and think. The angel of the Lord. What angel? What? As we've thought about these created beings of great power, of great knowledge and so on, do, do angels, have we read anywhere that angels have the power to give life? No, that soul, creation of life, is not in the realm of the angels only God can create life and yet the angel of the Lord says I will give you children note as well down in verse 13 that when we read for example she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her you are a God of seeing then remember This is God's inspired word. This isn't a lie. She's not going, oh yeah, I think it's God. And God's going, oh man, I don't know how that got in there. That's so wrong. Of course this is what is to be there. This is what God has given us. Her words are words of truth. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Well, who just spoke to her? The angel of the Lord. Who she says is the Lord. Who she says is Yahweh. Think about it, my friends.
1: The first message conveyed. Is it going to be an angel?
0: Or is it going to be the Lord Himself? Note as well, not only those statements, note the testimony that she gives. This is the well of the living one. This is the God who sees me. Well, you know, I don't know, that's kind of fuzzy. Turn to the book of Malachi very quickly. Just just one, I have several here, but let's just look at Malachi. Mainly because that's the last book of the Old Testament, it's the easiest for us to find. Malachi chapter 3. Because you might be thinking, well, the, is the comparison between an angel and the Lord ever a little clearer? As if this isn't clear. Yeah, Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord who you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of his covenant in whom you delight. Now, listen to the description of the messenger of the covenant. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and the fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Now, do you think he's talking about John the Baptist? Or is the messenger of the covenant, the angel of the covenant? Christ. Well, our theology, good biblical exegesis would tell us this is Christ who is identified as the messenger, as the angel. Genesis chapter 16, who finds her? I mean, how does Christ always identify himself? How does Jesus always identify himself in Scripture? I am the one who comes to seek and to save the lost. Certainly, upon the pages of Scripture, there's no one in in terms of of where we're at at this point in time who is more lost than Hagar i have come to seek and save the lost. The appearance of the angel of the Lord is an act of God's grace. She wasn't even looking for him. She's looking for a way home. She's looking for an escape. But the Lord finds her. Jesus Christ. Now I should rephrase that. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, in his pre-incarnate being, intervenes into this horrible, situation. And I want you to notice the message. The message of comfort. One. It comes from an angel. Now, I've kind of gotten into this, but I, I just want to clarify. In Scripture, the word angel can also mean messenger. In fact, they're in ver- in inevitably one. One. An angel is a messenger. Whenever we're going to read now that an angel did this, this is a message. It's a message. And, and what we're going to find is as, as we go through the pages of scriptures, these angels come with messages. This is the way in which they generally interreact with us as human beings. They come as God's messengers. So that when we read, for example, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, to the angel of the church of Thyatira, right? To the angel of the church of Philadelphia. Okay? It, probably our best way of understanding that is angel in terms of messenger. Those words are probably, as one of you has pointed out, okay, more directed at the pastor of the church. Hey, pastor, look what's going on in your church. Look at the blessings. But you need to correct this the messenger. Christ himself comes to this woman, Hagar. And note what he says. Go back and submit. And remember this morning, I, we, we talked about rhetorical questions. You know, who has bewitched you, O Galatians? Look at it here, right? Verse 8, Hagar, servant of Sarai. Boy, he knows a lot about her. But yet he asked, where have you come from and where are you going? He knows. He knows exactly. What's the point of asking the question then for her to admit? I'm fleeing. I'm fleeing from the one of whom I am responsible to. The angel of the Lord said to her, verse 9, return to your mistress and submit to her. Can you imagine how hard those words were to hear? It's not easy. I'm running. I'm trying to get away. This is horrible. No, I found you. Now go back and submit.
1: See, there's no hope for Hagar in Egypt. She needs to come back. She needs to submit.
0: This is Christ. Sometimes the words of comfort of Christ are not pleasant words. They're hard. They're difficult. They don't come easy for us to hear. Go home, submit.
1: But think of the way.
0: Go home, submit. But go home and submit but that's not the only message if that were it okay we might well stop here and go wow this is this is tough but there's more so you always got to read the rest he also brings to her a prophecy a prophecy that is filled with amazing blessings for her and her situation. Think of her situation. Think of the condition. Think of where she's at. What does the, the angel, what does the messenger, what does Christ tell her? He tells her, one, you're going to have many descendants. It looks kind of helpless here. Who's going to marry me? Where am I? Where is all that going to come from? You will have many descendants. The child and perhaps this is some validity of the fact she was actually worried about the health of the child and being able to deliver it. Christ tells her, you will have the child. The child will be born. She may be thinking, did, did Sariah do tremendous damage? Am I, am I going to miscarry because of what the harsh conditions I've been living under? Because the harshness, it carries with it the idea of not only verbal but also physical You're going to have the child. The child is going to live. And not only will the child live, the child will be a son. (laughs) She's taken care of. She is going to be taken care of for the rest of her life because there will be a son to watch over her and protect her. A son who is going to be strong. A son who is going to be free. You know that, we might read the, the testament that he's going to be a wild donkey, and we go, is that a compliment? Yes, it was a huge compliment. The donkey is the symbol of peace. The donkey was the symbol of strength. The donkey was the symbol of independence. Your son is going to be free and independent, but you need to go back and submit. Because you see, there's a bigger picture going on here, isn't there? There's the bigger picture, not just of Hagar going back To Abraham and Sarai and submitting to them. There's a picture of this Ishmael having to be in submission to Isaac. There is a picture of the nations of the world having to be in submission to the promised seed of Christ. See, it's not just an angel being, go back and submit, don't worry about all the abuse. That's not what's going on here. There is a greater theological truth at work that needs to to be grasped and understood. Yes, the going home and submitting was going to be hard and difficult, but but the the picture that emerges out of that is the picture once again of the promised son, Isaac. And of Christ. He might well have told her, you need to go back and submit. Because someday, All those descendants that I just promised you are going to fall on their knees before me. Your going back and submitting is a picture of what is going to happen. Now I want you to note Hagar's response to all of this in the message. She does so.
1: But there is a little part of the angel's message that's left. He shall dwell
0: over against his kinsmen. It's not all going to be peace. It's going to be friction. There's going to be hostility.
1: Hagar's responses. This is the God who hears.
0: This is the God who sees. The fact that she was told, name your child Ishmael, is a constant reminder. God hears. God hears the Hagar's of this world who are calling out. God hears the lost. God hears the heartache. Of a family crying out, Lord, be with this child. The Lord hears the cries of a mother as she learns she is pregnant and then wonders, will I be able to carry this child? Will this child be born? Will this child live? The Lord hears. But He also sees all the tremendous grace that God has here. And what a great evening for us to contemplate that. The cries of a screaming child. The reminder of how these children were conceived and brought into this world. The many prayers that were offered by Nate and Stacy and grandparents. The many prayers that were offered by Miles and Dana. And grandparents and family and church. Right? What happened? The Lord hears. What a blessing this is. See, that's what's happening at a baptism. The baptism is the reminder. It's the sign and the seal of what? That God sees and God hears the cries of His people. And that in His grace, what does He do? He finds us in Christ. He comes to us. Finds us in our sickness. Finds us in our sin. Finds us fleeing. Finds us running away. And He calls us graciously, go home.
1: I see. I hear.
0: living one the living one the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has been with us tonight, the God who came in covenant to those men comes to us this evening with his promise his promise to call, his promise Josie, if you cry out to me I will hear All those, this Christ was going to say later, who come to me, I will in no wise ever cast out.
1: You are the God, the outcast on her knees, who sees, who hears.
0: And God's people say, Amen. Father, you've heard us when
1: we've called out.
0: What a blessing it is. Lord, the greater grace is that you sought us out. When we were in sin, that's what your word tells us, while we were still sinners, this Christ died for us. While we were your enemies, you loved us in Christ.
1: Ah, oh, your grace precedes our cry.
0: Your presence is always there. Even though we de- deal with the disobedience of fellow believers, fellow Christians, Lord, you hear us you see. Thank you. Thank you for hearing our cries for Cole. For our cries for Josie. Those many times we bowed our hearts and bent our knees, Lord, in this place before your throne and prayed, prayed for those who were with children. Lord, you heard. You brought into this world young man and a young woman. You've placed your sign and seal upon them with the promise that you will be their God. The living one. The God who sees. Thank you for another example, another testimony of your amazing grace. In Christ's name, God's people again say, Amen.